Amen. Beautiful song. They did a great job. Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 for the morning service here. And Luke chapter 7, if you want to head in that direction. This uh, lesson uh, also finds its way in the book of Matthew chapter 8. A comparable passage there will primarily be in Luke chapter 7, though, as we take a look at it this morning. I want to talk to you today about great faith and the importance of faith. It is the uh, stalwart, of course, of Christianity. The very basis of Christianity is our faith. Uh, very, very, very important. Matter of fact, uh, remind you that uh, if you're a believer here today, uh, that word believer, of course, deals with trust, faith. Uh, you had faith in Jesus Christ. And so because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the fact of the matter is Jesus forgave your sins, uh, accepted you into his beloved, and it's a wonderful process. I accepted Christ uh, at a young age. I was 11 years old. And uh, I recognized at 11 I was a sinner. I had offended God and realized that the only way to have my sins forgiven uh, was by his precious shed blood. And this book is very clear about him dying on the cross. We call it the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know it as the gospel. And so I heard that for the first time in my life, 11 years old. I listened for five days as a preacher preached. And uh, I remember I was downtown San Diego in a group of 5,000 people. And I heard and my heart began to kind of be touched every night as I realized if I were to die, I would not go to heaven. And it wasn't because I was bad, uh, although I was. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was I had a sin that had separated me from God. And the only way to get that taken care of was through Jesus. Now, I tell you that because at a young man at 11, I didn't know everything about this book. But I knew this. I wanted to go to heaven. I needed God in my life. And so I confessed my sins that day, and by faith, by faith, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my only way to heaven. Not my good works. Uh, by the way, I've always wondered, most people say you go to heaven by being good. So my question is, well, how many you got to do? No one's ever able to answer that one. How many good works do you have to do? Well, they go, well, you just got to do more good than bad. Or are you keeping track? Because I don't know anything on my iPhone that has a good work tracker, you know, that can punch in. I mean, nobody keeps track, but everyone I talk to thinks, well, I think I'm going because I've done more good than bad. How do you know that? Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we don't go to heaven by being good. We go to heaven by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we call, are you ready? Simple faith. That's, that's base faith. Matter of fact, you need, the Bible says, Enough faith to get to heaven is what you need. The grain of a mustard seed. I'm not much in agriculture, but I looked it up once. The grain of a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds out there. And the Bible says if you just have just enough faith to put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, God says, I will save you. It begins with simple, easy, a little bit of faith, the Bible says, in order to go to heaven. But what about great faith? This morning I'd like to talk to you, and especially those that are believers, about great faith. You want to separate. I'm not talking about salvation faith. I'm talking about, and we'll talk a little bit about that, salvation faith is different. My, my faith begins by putting my faith in Jesus Christ, and then my faith grows. As I learn more about the Word of God, my faith grows. And the greater your faith, the more you can do for God. And by the way, should not our faith grow since we're called believers? We're people of the book, we're people of faith, as the Bible says. So in fact, we should grow in faith. I think there's different levels of faith after you're saved. 
I remember hearing of a church in Dallas, Texas, uh, similar to New York, property's expensive, for one acre of land, downtown, it was going to cost them several million dollars at the time. And I don't know what that cost in New York, but I mean, it was just a lot of money. And surprisingly, as they were praying for property, they found this. And um, what was surprising to them is what, what it cost. It was literally like one-tenth of that cost. Just crazy cheap. The pastor couldn't believe it. They began to pray and try to raise the money, and they ended up buying the property. They were so excited, and now they're going to build a building on it. But there was one problem. The reason it was so cheap is it used to be a dump. And so you couldn't build there. Uh, no, the city would not let you build there because there was so much dump underneath, you couldn't get the pillars deep enough to get a solid foundation. Well, the pastor felt horrible. He just sent his church to buy land, and nobody knew because, well, the real estate guy had lied to them. He deceived them. He got his money, went on his way. So the church began to pray. And they said, listen, we're believers. We trust in God. Let's ask God. I think we read that in the Bible, do we not? Now, ask God. Talk to God. So he began to pray. And after weeks and weeks of praying, a lady in the church came to the pastor and said, Pastor, shouldn't it be done by now? He said, what? Well, well, we've been praying that God would just kind of fill up the land and we could build on it. Shouldn't we do some more tests on it? And the pastor kind of sheepishly said, well, I, I guess so. So he called and called for some more tests. Would you believe it to their surprise? I mean, it blew their mind. The test came back that the ground was okay now and they could actually build. True story. So they actually went and built the church. Somehow, miraculously, God, surprising, isn't it? God had done a miracle and that was ground which before you couldn't use. Now there's this little bitty church in downtown Dallas. All because, are you ready? They believed. We hear stories like that. We think, well, well that's back in the Bible. That's a long time ago. No, 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 no. Faith is for today. Now, I'm not crazy. Not yet. Uh, and I'm not preaching any type of prosperity gospel, anything like that. Don't go out and pray for a million dollars. You're probably not going to get it. You say, why? God knows you better than you do. And uh, knows you wouldn't spend it right anyways. You know, so that's not what we're talking about. But I'm talking about when there's a something that is a need. Something that would be in God's will that God would want. The Bible tells us we ought to ask. And he begins to give us a story in Luke chapter 7. Stand, if you would, as we read it today. About somebody with the greatest faith in all of Israel. And if you know the story, you know it's not a Jew. So the Jews were God's uh, spokespeople. They were to take uh, the Messiah. We would call it the gospel around the world. They did not do that. So God opened it up to what we call the Gentiles. I'm looking out here and I know we're in an old Jewish synagogue. But right now it's inhabited by Gentiles. And uh, we'd be all Gentiles that I know of here. There might be some Jews here. I don't know. But uh, they began with the Word of God. God used them to write the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. But because they didn't complete the task, God gave it over to the Gentiles. And here we're going to see a Gentile showing the Jews what faith is all about. Let's read in Luke chapter 7. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick, ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation. He had built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. 
Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go. And he goeth. And to another, come. And he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned him, and he turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they were sent. And they that were sent returned to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Lord, we come to you one more time. We ask for your spirit to be with us today. Illuminate our minds to hear your truth. If there be someone here today who is not and does not understand simple faith, we call it salvation faith. They do not know how a person gets to heaven according to your book, the Word of God. Not our book, but your book. May they come today, Lord, whether in the service or after. And may they inquire about how they can learn from your book about how to go to heaven. And Lord, with simple faith, accept you and find eternal life. And then, Lord, I pray for the believers that are here. That we would not accept where we're at today in our level of faith. But, Lord, that we would ask for great faith. And, Lord, you'd provide great things here in Queens Astoria, Lord, through this church. Because of people who believe in your power and believe in your work. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What a great story. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, my job is to study the Word of God. And so, so I do. I study the Word of God. I spend time in the Word of God. It, it, is, it is my life. I understand I'm probably going to spend more time than you in the Word of God. I'm a preacher. So I do. So when certain phrases and statements come about, they catch my attention. Not everywhere in the Bible is this phrase, great faith. Jesus had done a lot, healed a lot of people, done a lot of miracles. But yet in this one particular time, this one phrase from Jesus in verse 9 sticks out to me. No one else did he say they have great faith. Nowhere. Oh, there's a lady later on, if we get, I think, in the book of Acts and so forth. But Jesus speaking saying, this is the greatest faith I've ever seen. Now, when I hear that as a believer, it piques my attention. There's something special happening here. There's something you should take note of, because you don't hear that phrase. I mean, we have phrases we use all the time, like, awesome. Oklahoma say, it's awesome. You know, it gets overused. You know, everything is awesome. No, it's not. Everything is not awesome. Everything is not amazing. But when you use it a lot, it kind of demeans the word. But great faith, we don't hear that a lot. Uh, no, we don't. And there's a reason. Because although people have faith, we don't often see great faith. And this morning, I would like to challenge you in the area of great faith. You say, why would you challenge us? Well, I'll get to that here in just a minute. First of all, I'd like to explain a little bit about faith. In Romans 1.17, the Bible says this. Faith, Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You say, how does a person believe? How does a person find God? Well, by faith. Well, how do you have faith? May I remind you that faith is the substance of things, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We do not ask you, if you're a non-believer, to blindly accept what I say, to just believe. Well, it doesn't work that way. Oh, no. No, faith in Christ is not blind. It's not based on nothing. It's based on substance and evidence. 7,000 years of history. From the beginning of time, what God has done from the creation of the world to the heavens, the Bible says, Romans 1, even our own hearts know there is a God. 
all the proven miracles that are here. We have evidence that this is real. It's not fake, it's real. Over 500 people saw him resurrected. It's not just something we say. It is evidence. That's where our faith comes from. I accepted Jesus Christ because I heard the word of God. It began to tug at my heart. We went on outreach yesterday. Probably the saddest saying is as you're trying to pass out tracts, people saying no. I get it. It's New York City. Probably people pass out a lot of stuff. A lot of junks out there. Now, so, you know, why would I take that? I get that. But what's hard to watch is to realize so many people that won't just take the Word of God and read it. And by not taking the Word of God, what are their chances of finding God? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you know not Jesus, may I challenge you? Get in this book, read it. Listen to the Word of God. At least be honest. At least be honest and give it a shot. Before you reject it, say, I don't believe that. Whoa, wait a minute. You're coming from a point, no offense of ignorance, because you know not the book. Read it. Study it. Come from that perspective. And this will happen. Faith comes by hearing. I got saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm a Baptist. I'm on my way to heaven because one day, hearing preaching, my heart began to yearn for God. And as I listened, God began to illuminate my mind. I realized Jesus is the way. And I put my faith in him. If you want to grow in your faith, let me help you. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. If you don't read this book, your faith will not grow. Now again, you can't lose your salvation. We're not talking about saving faith. But we're talking about growing faith. If you don't get in this book, you cannot grow. You cannot grow. Step number one, you must, you must hear the word of God. Look at our chapter. The Bible says in verse 2, And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick, ready to die. In verse 3, And when he heard of Jesus, see, even the centurion, how did he know to go to Jesus? Well, he heard. Faith comes by hearing. He heard about the miracles. He heard about this rabbi that was going around healing people. He heard about the miracles. He said, hey, he's in our town. My servant is sick. I want that man to heal. Why? Faith comes by hearing. He had heard the truth and knew this man could heal. He had heard enough stories to know it was true. And I thought about that. I thought, man, the importance of people hearing is overwhelming. We must get people to hear the word of God and let God work upon the heart. So please, please, your pastor... I all the time say, read the book. You should be in the Bible every day. Every day. Uh, seriously, read the book and your faith will grow. Now, that's obvious. I didn't teach you anything new there. I reminded you of something you know. I reminded you that those with the greatest faith are those who know the book. Those who have knowledge in the book, that's how their faith grows. So, can we go a little deeper? Our story sets a centurion. He's a Roman. They are the rulers of the day. The Jews are the servants of the day. There are captive people at this time. He has a servant. May I remind you that if you know your history, Romans and servants or slaves, they weren't real kind to them. You were an inferior person to them. And yet this man, this man who had accepted Judaism, treated his servant different. He cared. Cared so much and loved his servant, he wanted his servant healed. Had a close friendship with his servant. He wants him fixed. And so on this servant, when he hears Jesus, he says, I must send someone. So the Bible says, if you read it in verse 4, he says here, uh, and when they came to Jesus, look at verse 4, they besought him. Well, who? Well, look at verse 3. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent him to him, the elders of the Jews. Now, this is interesting to me. Here is this man, and if he's heard about Jesus, and God's pricking his heart. And he says, I believe in this man, Jesus. My servant is sick. I need help. So he grabs the elders, those Jewish 
uh, elders in the city said, would you, would you go for me? Would you go and would you maybe talk to him and see if he'll come and heal my servant? And let me tell you why that's significant. When I first read that, let me tell you my first thought. My thought was, how arrogant. How arrogant. You're so high and mighty, you can't leave your house and go talk to Jesus yourself. You send somebody else because you're a big wig, you're in charge. That's what it says. People do what I say. I tell a soldier to go, he goes. Tell him to come, he comes. I'm a man with authority and power. I'm a ruler here. And so I read that, I thought, wow, I can't believe it. the arrogance of the man. That's not what's happening. When you continue the reading, matter of fact, get down to verse 7 and 8, what's he saying? I am unworthy for you. Jesus gets close to his house. He sends more friends. says, don't come to my house. Why? I'm unworthy. Now, sometimes we say that. Now, my wife is wonderful. Being a pastor, we, we're very hospitable. We have a lot of people at our house. And uh, kind of like the Montoros. They have a lot of people at their house all the time. Like you right now. But anyway, uh, people come by. Some are very hospitable. My wife is an extraordinary, um, immaculate house cleaner. I mean, I could, you could fly into Oklahoma City. I'd pick you up. Uh, or you could drive to Ponca City. Give me a call. Five minutes out. You could come to my house. Everything would be fine. It would be clean and neat and tidy. Not because of me. Okay? Because of her. Okay? So really, anybody can pop in. And we have guests all the time pop in. And so because of that, our house is kept up neat. It's tidy. It's there. That's the way it is. So I don't think that probably the Roman centurion with all the servants said, don't come because my house is a mess. Here's another thought. Most of people like to show off their house. Yeah. If you have a nice house, customarily, you like to show it off. Uh, ladies. Now, I mean, I'm a little different. I'm a guy. I'm always amazed. We go to someone's house and say, you want to see it? No. Now, I have to because I'm a minister. And I always have to say yes. But quite honestly, it doesn't interest me. You say, why? I don't live here. I don't care what you have in your house. As long as you have food, everything's Okay. Something to drink and food. I'm fine. But I'll polite and they'll walk me around the house and this is our front room, this is our bedroom. And I always go, nice, nice, all oh, beautiful, love it. And I'm like, I don't care. But you know, wives are different. They're like, look, we remodeled here and we, redid the, we remodeled our restroom. And so we got to take everybody to show them the restroom. Why? That's so weird to me. Come, look at my restroom. Got a new tile. I'm like, that's strange. But people, they do it. And if you have a nice, big, beautiful house, and you put a lot of money into it. And you ever notice when people do show their house, how um, humble they are? Been there, haven't you? We, uh, I preach sometimes in Austin, Texas. And a uh, man in the church uh, is a multi-millionaire. We don't have any of those in Blanca City. But he, he got saved uh, afterwards. Got saved. Actually, to say the truth, he became multi-millionaire. He, he won the lottery. The only person I've ever known, do, don't do it. You're not going to win. Okay, but he did before he was saved, got saved, and they got into church. So they had this huge, I mean, literally like a mansion. But he's gracious. He lets guests stay there. So I remember going there. The wing of his house is like three times the size of my house. That was his guest house. So he's walking us through a big, beautiful mansion. The wife's showing us the house and everything. But it's always funny to me. It's always what I call Hidden humility. They're like, oh, it's just a simple place. Right. Right. 
simply like huge. Simply, and really, like, I don't care. It's just funny to me. They're like, oh yeah, see this and his, see our huge gigantic pool, see all of our cars and everything, and we just, oh, we just, we're just so blessed and everything, and just, it's just kind of like this vain humility, because most of us we like to show off. You know, when I get something new, I'm like, ha! Look what I got! Look what I got! Yeah, we do. I have a very special Starbucks card. Oh, you want to see it? See? Yeah. That's the only thing I show off. There's only 5,000 of them made, and I have one. So I know what this is like. Every chance I get, I pull it out of my pocket. I go, I'd like to pay with my Starbucks card. It's a metal card. Only 5,000 made in the world. Kevin Durant doesn't have one. LeBron James doesn't have one. I don't think Warren Buffett has one. I'm going to tell you right now. Of course, he has a gold card. But anyway, you see, so, so we think like we're humble, but it's like I'll flash it. Some of you ladies, you get engaged. You ever notice? Hi. It's like, oh, well, you got a big rock there. You know, it's like, oh, you noticed? Oh, what? Oh, yes, let me show you. It cracks me up. We think we're humble, but we're not, okay? We like to show off. But this man, when I'm reading him, you would think he'd say, come to my big house. Come see my servants. Come see what I have done. But no, look what he says. He goes down in verse 7, he says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and thy servant shall be healed. He says, listen, I'm not worthy. That's a word. It's not vain humility. He goes, I think it was, right? Jesus is coming to his house. He says, please don't come. Why? I don't deserve to be in your presence. Wow. He got it. Can I just tell you something about today's generation and why we don't have the faith we do? I'm going to help you. God is not the big man upstairs. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He's a holy God. He allows a relationship for us to have with him. But he should respect, be respected as a holy God. The Bible tells us that we are to treat him with holiness and honor. To be quite honest, if he appeared before us, you probably, your very body would bow before him because that's what the Bible says. The end days, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God. It would draw you to that direction. You would not go, and go hey, Jesus, how you doing? Slapping hands. There's a lot of irreverence for God today. We like to bring God down to our level. He is not at our level. He is God and should be worshipped that way. And this man got it. You see, great faith comes, first of all, by hearing the Word of God. But may I say this? Great faith, as I'm reading, I saw something else there. Humility. A man who realized, whether you be a man or a woman, I am not worthy of God. I'm not worthy of anything. If you give me anything, if you do anything, it's not of me. It's because of you. And God says, I respect that. I like someone who realizes their place, their position of humility. Can I tell you what we need back in Christianity? Humility. Can I tell you something? This guy knew something. With all this money, all this power, he knew this. I need Jesus. You know why we don't see great miracles today? It's not because God isn't working. Matter of fact, I'm going to contradict that. We do see great miracles today. I've seen God do amazing things in people's lives. Heal people with cancer where doctors have said there is no healing. You're done. Go talk to your family. Prepare. Been there. As they prayed and prayed. But does everybody make it through that? Well, no. It's not always God's will for someone to make it. May I remind you, everybody dies. Yeah, we're all born. We're all born to die. 
But at times God intervenes to give someone's extra life. Because they pray and they humble themselves for God. They say, oh God, please. And God says, it is my will. I will grant your request. And he does. It's great to see. I've seen God do great things in churches. In areas. And the reason I began to think about this message was two things. One, it says a Jewish synagogue. You're in one. But the second thing I thought about this. You're in New York City. New York City. Nine million, they say, downtown, Manhattan area. 22 million in all the suburbs. I don't know. I'm just quoting what you guys have told me. So if I'm off, don't correct me. I won't remember it anyways. You have a lot of things happening here. People who don't care, people who don't want to listen. How in the world do you build a work for Jesus Christ? How do you reach people with the gospel? I'm going to tell you how. It will take great faith. It will take great faith. If you want to do something, God will do it if you let him do it through you. You must remember two important things. Number one, you must remember you cannot do it on your own. You must do it with the word of God. You must get in this book and learn it and learn the principles and the practices and begin to fulfill them. And number two, you must do it in humility. You must never get to the point of saying, look what we've done. Look what we're doing. We will reach the city. No, you won't. God will. He just may choose to use you. Now, I'm a firm believer that God uses us. I don't get it. You know, God used a donkey in the Bible. That's a good story. By the way, I love the book. It's great stories in there. You know, one time there was a story where a donkey started talking. How would you like to be there? You're riding the donkey and your donkey turns and says, stop it. You know what I'm amazed when I read that story? Balaam doesn't get it at first. If you go read the story, he starts talking back to the donkey. So who's the one that's got the problem? Now, I know that's not strange to you all because you live in New York. But to us, that's strange. I have animals. None of my animals have ever talked to me, okay? And if they did, my first response wouldn't be to talk back. My first response would be, we're going to be rich, honey. we got a talking donkey. I mean, think about it. I mean, Balaam's sitting there, he's like, the donkey, and they have this discussion back and forth. And God uses a donkey to get his attention, to get his will done. Every time I read that story, here's what I think. If God can use a donkey, maybe he could use me. Well, how? How could God use me? I've got to be a believer. I've got to get into his word. I've got to have humility. And then as I begin to pray, God will do great things. <sighs> Wait a minute. You've heard all that before, haven't you? And then it hit the crutch of the message. I began sending this message, and something jumped out to me that um, it just struck a chord with me. We're talking about great faith. A lot of people have humility, a lot of people in the Word of God, and yet they don't see great things happening. So I'm like, what's so different about this guy? What what separated him? I mean, the, the apostles were humble. Were they not? They knew the Word of God. God used them to write the Word of God. And yet he didn't look at the apostles and say, You have great faith. He looked at a Roman Gentile and said, you have the greatest faith I've ever seen. There was one other thing that made it that way. Take a look. He goes down. He shows us here. In Luke chapter 7, we read it. He says in verse 8, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, what, what things? Well, that... He was a man under authority. He was a man that um, understood authority. He was a Roman centurion, as I said. And when he gave an order, he didn't have to be there. In other words, he could come and say, Hannah, I want you to go tell them from me that they need to clean up the basement. I don't have to show up. I'm going to tell Hannah. 
And when she goes down and tells everyone, the pastor said, clean up the basement, they do it. Why? Well, it's not really Hannah saying it. It was the person in charge saying it. But you have a job, don't you? You ever get a memo or something? Comes down from the top? You never saw the boss. But they said, this is a new schedule. This is the new rules. You may not like it, but you do it. Okay, you're supposed to. Okay, why? Well, the boss doesn't have to come down and talk to you directly. Matter of fact, some of you have never even seen the owner of the company. You've never seen the CEO at all. You probably never will. But you follow the instructions that he starts with and brings down the channel. It's called the chain of authority. Chain of authority. I first learned this principle when I was a young man. I grew up in San Diego, California. In San Diego, we have uh, several uh, bases there. I went to Camp Pendleton. My dad was a Marine. We were going to play racquetball. I'll never forget to this day, as we walked on, and we're going, we parked, we're going to, to the racquetball courts to play. There was a car that came. And this car was one of those big, long black cars. had the flags on the top and the front of it. If you've been around the military, you understand. Uh, that was literally uh, the commander of the base's car. And when that car started driving down the road on the base, no, literally, every single soldier, everybody stopped and saluted the car. Everyone. I'm talking, it was like the weirdest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I felt like saluting too, and I wasn't even a soldier. But I'm serious, it was weird. I mean, don't. I mean, everyone, all the way down. I mean, it didn't matter. If, you can have a group of guys jogging, and they were doing their routine. They literally would stop, and everybody salute, and then continue on. People walking and talking. As it got closer, I noticed uh, it was not the commander. And I asked my dad, is that the commander? No, it wasn't. He said it was somebody else. And I said, well, then what are they doing? He said, well, that car represents the commander. And so since that car is the commander, it represents the commander, everybody is trained, you salute it because it's the proper thing to do. I went, well, that's weird. I thought, well, what if, what if the kid, the 16-year-old kid's driving the car? If I was a 16-year-old kid, I'd drive the car all the time. Why? Because everyone would have to salute me. He says, you salute well, what if it's the nanny? You salute. What if it's the dog driving the car? You salute. Why? Well, that's called authority. Authority. Can I tell you why we don't have the type of faith we need today? Are you ready? Some of you are in the Word of God. Some of you have a semi-humble spirit. But there's one element missing. One element missing. We don't want to follow the authority that is set before us. God places in our life. Young people, God gave you parents. You're to follow them. They will not always be right. They will not always do everything right. But it's your job to listen to follow them. Why? Because God set them up as the authority. We have a government. Don't get me started. Okay? Uh, even in Oklahoma, don't get me started. I don't know if we'll ever have everything the way we want it. Amen? But you know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If our president walked through those doors, if a congressman, if whoever was in authority, whoever... Is there an authority in New York? I don't know. Again, I'm not from New York. It doesn't matter. If the mayor of New York walked in, and I realized it, I would greet him with the proper respect, no matter what he was like. Why? Because he's in charge. Didn't say I had to like him. I don't know him. I don't even know who your mayor is. You, know, you have to like or dislike the president. It doesn't really matter. If he's a president of the United States, guess what? He's in authority. What would I do? I would show him the proper respect. Why? Because that's Bible. The Bible says in Romans 13, God sets up the authority. God always works through authority. You're in a church. You have a pastor. Oh, he's not God. But he's here and he preaches you the word of God. You should listen. 
When he opens up this book, you should listen. And let me tell you why we don't have great faith. There's too many of us who refuse to follow authorities in our life. We'll go so far, we refuse to submit to somebody that's over us. And I always laugh at that, because why? You will always have somebody over you. Oh, you'll submit to someone who's giving you a paycheck. I've got to work doing whatever they say because they give me a paycheck. But we won't submit to Almighty God, who saved our souls and gives us eternal life. That could be why we're not seeing great things happen in God's churches like they used to be. Because we're being elevated to a position of pride and arrogance, and no one's going to tell me what to do. I will follow nobody. And folks, you will never succeed and have great faith. And you can learn to follow like God said to follow. Well, not blind, not, not evil, not wicked. I'm talking about biblical faith. I'm talking about following those in authority, learning under somebody, being taught, being discipled, being mentored, whoever God places in your life, showing the proper respect, doing what is appropriate. Then, then great things can happen. And what happened here? Because he had this humility and because he followed the authority and under, he got it. He understood authority. God always works with authority. I usually draw this like an umbrella of authority. And I can tell you, if you step outside of God-given authority, it'll mess up your life. Every single time. How many young people say, I'm not going to listen to my parents. I'm going to do whatever I want. And what happens? Messes up their life. They may think their life is great, but you look at it and go, you poor thing. You poor thing. Now again, we're not talking about wickedness or evil. Uh, God is your number one authority, is he not? I always have to explain this. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a home and your mom doesn't say, hey, we're going to go rob the local bank. You say no. You say, yeah, but they're my authority. God trumps every authority. Obviously, that's wrong. You know, use some logic here. You don't say, okay. You say, sorry, I can't. Why? I'm a Christian. They're going to do something immoral. Sorry, I can't. Why? God says not to. But outside of that, when authority says something, here's our problem. I know. Here's our problem. We don't want to listen. We think we know better. And so because of that, there's a lot of stagnated Christianity today. And great things aren't happening in God's house. Because why? We're not in the Word of God like we should. We have way more arrogance and pride than we should have. And we do not like following authority. Now, maybe you're different here. Maybe it's just Oklahoma. We have the good old boy mentality in Oklahoma. Everybody knows what is best. Everybody's got an idea. God doesn't work that way, folks. Here's a Roman centurion who wasn't even a Jew, who was over this Jew called Jesus. And he submitted himself and said, you are my God. Whatever you say, I'll do. Don't even come to my house because I'm unworthy of you. Not arrogance, pride. I, I'm not even worthy to be around you. Are you ready? If you just speak, here's the crutch. If you just speak the word, it'll happen. Let me close with this. We, uh, we live in what I call an experience society. And um, if you don't experience it, you don't think it's true. You know how dangerous that is. But that's how we live. It's like, I got to see it, I got to touch it, I got to feel it, I have to experience it. And if I don't experience it, and, 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 or if I do experience it, that takes precedent over what God says. And can I tell you, that is wrong. That is so, I know people that go to churches, and, and, and not to be offensive, but they choose churches by the music. And they have 45 minutes of music and a band playing, and, and everybody walks out going, I feel good. I feel good. May not have anything to do with the Bible, but they feel good, so they think everything's okay. 
What's that? Experience. Experience. I feel something, so it must be right. Do you know how dangerous that is? Do you know how our emotions are like this? And not just the ladies. Some of you men, we have issues too. We say the ladies are moody. Are you kidding? Men are moody too. And some days we're happy and some days we're sad. Can you imagine living by your emotions? No. You want to live by absolute truth. But too many of us live by what we feel and what we experience and that guides our life. No. Are you ready? The centurion said, you speak the word, I'll do it. You don't have to see it to know it's true. Why? Because God said it. When you get in his book and he speaks, because we know this book is true, and it's proven itself for 7,000 years, everything it's ever said has come true 100%. If you don't believe me, look it up, challenge it. God is not afraid of you trying to prove it. Look it up. Look up whatever you like. Okay? You're not going to find a contradiction. You're not going to find an error. Every prophecy has come to pass 100% of the way. So why would we not, when we're reading the Word of God about how to raise our families, why would we question that? Why would we think we know better? Shouldn't we just say, you bet you, God. God, if you said it, I believe it. What we need to get back to is this. When this book speaks, it becomes our final authority. And we allow this authority. Now, I know I'm closing, I said I'm done, but you have to get this part here. If I were to have a quiz right now, most people would say this. God and his word is my final authority. The problem in my experience is that's not true. My experience is this. God is part of our life. And we will do what God's word says. Are you ready? As long as we agree. That is not great faith. Great faith is saying, you are God, you know best. I will do what you say and live my life according to your principles because you said it. You know what we need today? Great faith. I wonder what Open Door Baptist Church will be like in a year. I wonder what you're going to be like in five years. I wonder what God's going to do. God's already done great things here. But are you done? Are you just going to be complacent and stop? Or are you going to ask God to do great things in your life and in this church for his glory? And if you do, he will. He will. If you're here today, you've never experienced simple faith, salvation faith, I challenge you to come talk to the pastor. He would love to talk to you or his wife or someone about simple faith. But if you are already a believer, I know it's a rough message for everyone, but, um, and I know everyone won't buy into it, maybe not ready for it, I get that. But what happens if just a few people in the church say, I want to be a man or woman of great faith. God, use me to do something great for you. Just think what God could do. Let's pray. Lord, we come to now. We thank you for your word. How great it is, Lord. We thank you for the teaching of your word. We thank you for this example of great faith. And Lord, faith is what we are all about as believers. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to be people of faith. Lord, so often we allow fear and doubt to encompass our lives and to take over rather than faith. And although we have faith, Lord, Lord, few of us could probably put, if any of us, in the category of great faith. And yet, Lord, that is what it takes. You said that if we would have faith, if we would have faith, Lord, that you would do great things. Your book is full of stories and examples of those who just believed in difficult situations and trusted you and followed you, followed your authority, got into your book, humbly submitted to your will, your way. 
great things happen. Lord, there is truly an open door here for this church to do great things in Queen's Astoria. But Lord, it will take great faith. So Lord, even if you impress upon just a few, I pray you bring them to a point of Lord committing to you to grow in their faith to such a place, Lord, where they'll learn to follow authority and learn to develop greater humility and to know your book more. That when they ask something from you, great things happen. And then, Lord, I don't know the people here, so Lord, maybe there's a guest or someone that's been coming that, Lord, truly does not have saving faith. They do not know if they were to die today what the Bible says about how to go to heaven. We didn't spend a lot of time on that, but Lord, maybe they'd like to know and just take a couple minutes for someone to open up the Bible, your book, and show them. Help them to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and, as is customary in your church, have a time of prayer. You can pray where you're at if you want to stay seated and pray. If not, you can stand and sing with us. You want to come forward and pray. Maybe you want to come and ask for greater faith. Lord, I may not be able to attain to this level, but Lord, my faith needs to grow. I need to submit better to the authority of your word. I need to be a little more humble. I need to get in the book more. But definitely, if you're here today, and, and maybe there's something in your heart saying, I really don't know how to go to heaven according to the Bible. I would like to know more. Well, maybe you come now and talk to someone, or after church, catch the pastor and say, can I talk to you or your wife about how to go to heaven? They would love to show you. Join with us as we sing a verse or two of invitation, and then we'll close for the day.